Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Steve Cutler helps people and organizations evolve to higher levels. As a coach and consultant, Steve has helped hundreds of people and businesses improve processes and protocols that have led to skyrocketing performance. With over 20 years in health, fitness, tech, and entrepreneurial ventures, Steve brings a strong background in operations, marketing, sales, and financial performance. Currently, Steve runs Evolve, a lifestyle clothing, coaching, and consulting business. Steve is the host of the Evolve podcast that has been downloaded in over 20 countries in just over 10 months. In addition to Evolve, Steve currently leads the marketing for Udo, a tech startup in Utah's Silicon Slopes. Most important, Steve is a proud husband and father of three beautiful, smart, and amazing kids. Steve has had a massive impact in my personal and professional life. He believed in me enough to hire me and has taught me tons of leadership skills that have stuck with me to this day. He was instrumental in helping me own and embrace my unique area of passion in the low-carbohydrate space, and it is an honor to welcome him to the show today. Steve Cutler, such an honor to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thanks, man. Um, I don't think that last part was something that we wrote down. So that was a bit of a curveball, but thank you. Absolutely. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. You were somebody who has been very influential in my life and the, and the direction my career was taking. I was kind of getting like painted into a corner, I feel like, with nutrition because I, I started enjoying low-carbohydrate diets and they started to work for people. And I didn't want to be known as that guy. Like people were calling me Keto Casey and I didn't want to be that guy. And I remember very right. distinctly having a yeah. conversation with you and saying like, what should I do? And you're like, dude, just own it, run with it and embrace it. And it's really um, been very influential in my career. So I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I love you and all, all that you do and am inspired by you. And it's really cool to watch what's happened as you have embraced that. And it doesn't mean that you are now, uh, you know, just a low carb guy. Uh, because you have such a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I, I love your podcast. I love all the different uh, people that you have on. I, I learn a lot. Uh, you know, those that may not know uh, our friendship <laughs> will know that I, uh, I, I'll text you several times a week and say, hey, I love this episode. This was really cool. And, uh, so you, you really, you're doing a great thing here and it's very inspirational. Well, thanks, man. That really means a lot coming from you. I love your podcast as well. It's one of the podcasts that I can count on one hand where I never miss an episode and you do a great job interviewing really interesting guests. You know, during the pandemic, I, I learned about myself that I'm a lot more, um, I guess, introverted than I thought. And, you know, having the chance to pause um, and and decide like which relationships I wanted to bring back in my life, I thought I loved a lot of people and I really enjoy the depth of a relationship with very few people. And you and I meet once a minute once a month in person to have some of the best sourdough and avocado toast uh, that I've ever had. And we have very engaging and <laughs> yeah. interesting conversations. And then, you know, it's just, it, you, you and I, I think have a relationship that I, I love the intentionality behind it. And I love, you know, keeping that relationship in my life. It's really great. Yeah. It's one of the, one of the, uh, that I, I treasure the most. And, uh, I think, I think back to probably two months ago, we were sitting at the uh, coffee shop and we're eating and talking and we get into our conversation. We're probably hour, half, two hours in and realizing that we probably had a few other things to do for that day. And you looked up and you're like, Holy shit, look at this. And we looked around and we didn't even know that there were so many people in the coffee shop that were there. Cause we, we go, first thing, right. When they open and then, uh, and, and so we're, we're amazed by the fact that other people are around. Right. 
And then you point out, you're like, look at that shit over there. And there's a group of people, four or five people sitting at a table together and every single one of them is on their phone. And so when you talk about that intentionality, and I think what uh, what makes our, our friendship so great is uh, we can literally sit there and chat and not even be aware that the restaurant has filled up around us and that some dumbasses sitting at a table right next to us are supposedly doing the same thing that we are, right? Going out as friends and connecting. But uh, at the end of the day, they're just staring at the screen rather than really connecting with each other. It's so strange. It's just so strange to observe. And it happens all the time. It's crazy. I mean, the amount of times that you and I have got together and really solved a lot of the world's problems and nobody listens to us. You know, part of of doing that was actually starting a book club with your co-host, W. Miles Riley. And we would meet up once a month at your place and we would, you know, have read a book, some of which I actually did read. And (laughs) we would, you know, just pick through the book and talk about ideas and solve the world's problems. I really think we did an amazing job with that book club. But I have to ask, would you consider it a book club with a wine problem or more of a wine club with a book problem? (laughs) That's a great (laughs) question. I'll plead the fifth on that one. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's totally fair. Well, I wanted this episode, I wanted this episode to be really special and unique. So I actually changing the format just a little bit. The questions that I have for you today have already been written out and I've tried to craft them as best I could to elicit really interesting answers, which I know you'll be great at. And so I'm actually just going to read some of these questions to you. Here are your answers. We can dive down some rabbit holes if we like. We might not get to all the questions, but um, you, you just have had such an interesting life and have done so many things. I'd really love to learn some of your insights. So the first question for you, what is the most impactful book you have ever read? Yeah, that's a tough one. You know, I've read so many uh, that have made a difference in my life. Um, It would be hard for me to just narrow it down to one. So I'd probably would say, what's, what is one that's the most recent? And I think probably the most recent uh, in the last few years that has been the most impactful has been James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. Mm. And I guess why it's been so impactful is I love the fact that Clear talks about in there a system and a process for starting small to create something big. You know, I believe that all of us have the ability to make uh, a significant impact in life if we figure out who the hell we are And then we lean into what it is that we're great at. Um, But most people, number one, never dig deep enough to get to that point. Uh, And then number two, don't have a plan or a process to to bring that out of them. So I think Clear's book is phenomenal because he helps you to identify if you have this vision for your life or you have this goal that you want to accomplish, how do you break it down and just start really small? You know, for someone that, let's say, wants to get in better shape, it's not about getting this badass workout in where you're sweating from head to toe and uh, you got so much swoob that somebody could drink it off of you. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's about just saying, okay, I'm not exercising, so I'm going to start showing up at the gym. And you do that. And that's all you commit to is just showing up. You can walk through the door, you can walk back out. Uh, and then over time, you grow that goal into maybe you're going to show up and you're going to uh, go up onto the fitness floor. Uh, or you show up and you're going to get on a treadmill for five minutes. And little by little, by you you develop these habits and you stack the habits. And I believe that's how you create a great life. Uh, it, it's not about doing something big. It's about doing something small, doing something small consistently and then building on it. Mm. 
That's a great answer. That's so funny you mentioned that. I actually finished that book for the first time last week. And you're right. Like, I, I, It's really very practical, different than some of the other habit books that I've read. I love how he highlights the four stages of habit, the cue, the craving, the response, the reward, and you know, making things easy, making things attractive. I think it's a really practical way to change your habits. Um, and he does such a great job being really concise with his words. And it's also funny too, his team um, responded to my email to to be on our podcast and he politely declined, but uh, that was just this morning. So <laughs> funny, funny that you mentioned him and I guess he's not going to be on the show. <laughs> well, not yet anyways. I mean, he might down the road, but uh, yeah, he does. He does a great job. I think one of the things that when I first started reading books for development and growth and I've always been a reader. I've always liked reading, but I I got into stuff that over the years I find is, you know, 90 plus percent of it is wasteful. It's, it's good. It's flowery. There's, you know, interesting concepts, but what I have observed over the years is there's, there's a very small percentage of what I read that I actually apply and it actually works. And with, with atomic habits, there's nothing in that book that, to me is fluff. You know, everything that I've taken and I've applied, it actually works. And I love things that work. I love things that are not just there for the sake of being there, especially in the education or the development realm. Mm, Yeah, Uh, I agree. So he's not just creating content to create content. He's creating content that really, uh, you know, people can use and they can improve their lives. Yeah. Uh, Clear is just such a perfect name (laughs) for his writing style. Um, (laughs) One one thing I've started doing recently that has helped because I find the same thing, like I'll consume content and then like automatically like forget about it is I think I stole this from Greg McEwen, but I will sit down with as much intention as possible and just write down for maybe 10 minutes, some of the key concepts of that book. And that has helped me to retain a little bit. Do you, do you do any of that? Like, do you take notes or anything when you're reading a book? Yeah, so I actually do it a little bit different now than I used to. I, I was very um, uh, analog in the way that I would do things in the past. I, you know, I'd highlight or I'd write notes or I'd keep a notebook with me. Um, and a few years ago, I had a job uh, where I was traveling every other week and sometimes every week. And so typical of my life, I, I wanted to simplify as much as possible. I wanted to get rid of as, as much of the junk as, as I didn't need. And so as I started traveling, I think when you do anything new, you tend to overdo and I would take way too much stuff. And then I'm like, no, nah, I don't need five suits. I need two. Um, and instead of taking multiple books, if I just carried an iPad with me with all my books on it, I could do that. So in that whole process, I got to the point where I have been consolidating my books onto my iPad. And I, one of the things I love about that is I can highlight and I can make notes in the book. And so a process that I found that works really well for me is whatever I'm reading during the week, I'll go through and I'll highlight. And then Sunday is my review day. So I don't sit down and read something new on Sunday. I go back through uh, everything that I've highlighted or notes that I've made. And that's where I ask myself, okay, now from this, what am I going to do? What I found is my retention has gone through the roof with uh, this process because I, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm active. You know, when you read something and you put it into play or you take a note, you remember it. But if you go back through within a few days of reading it and you review it one more time, your retention significantly goes up. I, I believe that there were some studies – I don't quote me on this, but I think it came out of Germany where they they looked at this process of taking notes, uh, highlighting things, and then reviewing them within the week. 
and retention of content went up to 75 to 80%. Mm. Most people's retention is less than 10% when they read something. And so you make a significant impact on your brain and the way it functions, the way you're able to retain information if you go through this process. And so I, I absolutely love this process and it's really helped me to hone in as I've continued to try and evolve my life in multiple areas. Um, the highlight review process is just a, it, it's been phenomenal for me. Wow. That's great. I think that's a really practical tip and something all of us could do a lot better at. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So yeah. you, you mentioned your career, you have worn many different hats in your professional career. What are some yeah. of the leadership principles that have helped you through each of your different positions? And, and like, regardless of the size of the team, if it was a lot of people versus, versus a smaller team versus even just you and, and yourself. You know, I think one of the one of the principles goes back to a book that I read years ago, and this was one that was a really impactful uh, concept in my life. Uh, the Arbinger Institute. Um, oh, shoot, I'm going to forget the title of the book anyway. Uh, but it, it, the concept is just accepting people as human beings. And I know that that sounds really uh nice and flowery and whatever. But the reality is you, when you look at human beings, you either accept them as a human being who has thoughts, feelings, uh, emotions, perspectives, biases, and you just accept them for what they are. Um, the opposite of that is when we objectify another human being. You know, if, if I'm sitting down with somebody and they say something that I don't like, I can objectify them and call them stupid, or I can call them um, lazy, or I can call them... Uh, you know, unintelligent, or maybe they, I don't like what they said. And so they're this or they're that. And as soon as I put a label on somebody, I'm putting them in a box. When they're in a box, I can continue to treat them like an object. And then I justify. And when I do that, then I go into this, this mode of self-deception. When I'm self-deceived, then I continue to live life as an asshole, but I justify it uh, because the, the box uh, that I've put somebody in, the only way that it continues to live is my constant lies that I tell myself and my constant justification. So the way to get out of the box um, and to stop with the self-deception is just looking at another human being as a human being. And so it doesn't matter um, if we see eye to eye at the very beginning. It doesn't matter if we have different backgrounds. I just, I believe in accepting people for where they are and not necessarily where I would like them to be. Um, I think that has been crucial to any leadership role that I've been in and has allowed me to, to really function in multiple disciplines and across multiple uh, companies and multiple sizes. I mean, I've had teams that are very small um, of just, you know, three or four or five people. And I've had teams that have been north of 300 to 400 people. And I think that just accepting people where they are, seeing them as human beings, it allows me to... Uh, to lead from a humanistic standpoint uh, and to not get off base and, and, you know, alienate people. Mm. I definitely saw those principles at work, working with you underneath you um, for the corporation that we worked for, you know, whenever somebody would have a dispute, they would come and maybe complain to you. And it seems like you would turn around oftentimes and say like, have you talked to that person? Like, have you tried to understand that person? Have you listened to what that person's saying? And, and I saw a lot of conflicts get resolved that way. Yeah, it's amazing when two human beings just sit down and talk about, you know, what they what they feel and 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 then see it from another person's point of view. 
and, and we never have to be on the same page in that we see things exactly the same, but we can get on the same page with the fact that we are two unique, different human beings that have opinions that matter, have perspectives that matter, and that's okay. That's part of what brings life and zest to what we do. Um, but it's really funny because the, the simplicity of it is the hardest part to do. It's it's a very simple process. It's if you have an issue with somebody, you go sit down and you talk about how you feel and what your needs are, and then discuss a strategy for, for creating a better solution. But most people don't do that. They spend time in their mind coming up with ways to keep somebody in a box and call them names, uh, or they just go talk to other people about what their problem is instead of addressing it head on. And I think when we look at human beings as human beings, um, the process becomes so much more beautiful, elegant, and simple. One of my favorite times working with you fairly early on, we were, you know, directly communicating with each other on a leadership team and we did a test called strengths finder. And the concept behind it was you find out out of, you know, what's it 34 or 36 different strengths. Um, it could be, you're good with data. It could be you're good communicating. It could be you're a good listener, whatever the strengths were, you find out which your top ones are. And rather than focus on the things that you're not that great, at focus on the things you're really, really good at, and then maybe outsource some of those other things that, that you're not good at to other people who are good at those things. Can you talk about um, the the importance of playing to your strengths rather than trying to always, you know, kind of worry about your weaknesses? Yeah, it's it's the bullshit idea in in America that we put out there of that we have this, you know, that we should be well rounded a, and that uh, you know the uh, the underdog story is the greatest story. You know, I remember for I'm an older guy. And so this uh, the movie Rudy might not mean something to a lot of people. But if you ever go watch the movie Rudy, people talk about what an inspirational story it is. And it's horseshit. I mean, it's not an inspirational story. It's a guy who didn't know where his strengths were, but wanted to play on a football team for some stupid reason. And so he got his ass kicked and drilled and, you know, worked hard and then eventually played in one um one game with Notre Dame and somehow we thought that was a great thing to make a movie off of. And and it's just bullshit. You know, the reality is if you understand what your strengths are, you'll get into a flow state in your life so much better. And the, none of us are going to be great at all things. And so this idea of becoming super well-rounded, um, a never happens for most people and B is not the best use of our time. Um, you know, I'm not an extremely detail oriented guy when it comes to data, uh, by nature. Now I, I can do that, but I'm much more of a big picture vision guy. I do better in that space. And so what I've done over the years is I will hire people that, uh, are in that data space and I lean on them. And what happens is When you lean into your strengths, you get better at your strengths and you also get better at your weaknesses because I can be a big picture guy all day long, but if I don't lean into the fact that I was not a good detail-oriented person, I wouldn't have been a great leader or manager. I had to get better at that in order to continue on. But by then leaning on somebody who is maybe a more data-oriented person, they then have this great confidence by achieving well in the area that they're good at. And so, you know, the human 
the human condition and the human animal is a tribal animal and a tribal condition by its very nature. And we were never designed to live on our own and perform on our own and be on our own. We are tribal in nature. And that means that if I'm going to succeed, it's because I lean into the things that I'm very good at. And I also partner with somebody who, as as they say in the military, has my six, somebody that's got my back, someone that is good in the areas that I'm horrible at. And by doing that, we strengthen together. Mm-hmm. I love all of that. Besides the bashing of any sports movie, I'm still trying to decide if I'm going to edit that part out. <laughs> you can't bash sports movie, Steve. Come on. <laughs> well, I told you, I texted you this morning and told you that I didn't like what you guys said on your podcast, where you were saying that life is not about having a great Porsche. <laughs> True. So we're even on. We're this. even. Fine. <laughs> fair. The beauty, the beauty and the aesthetics of a Porsche and the feeling of a Porsche. I love, I have loved all of my Porsches. So <laughs> that's amazing. if people don't give a shit about Porsches, that's great. Uh, I love them. That's amazing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe one day you'll let me drive it. I just upgraded to a, a Jetta and I feel like I'm on top of the world. So <laughs> not, a car, not, not a car guy, not a car guy. No, it's interesting, man. We've got another guest coming on the show named Oliver Berkman, and he wrote the book okay. 4,000 Weeks. And 4,000 Weeks- oh, yeah is an average lifespan. And you like, it's horrifying. I've already spent half of those. And like, what what do I have to show for it? Like, I don't know. It's really interesting. But it also releases the pressure of what you think you need to accomplish in your life. Because if you've got 4,000 weeks on average, not you're not owed that also, like an anvil could fall on my head right now. Like, you have a limited amount of time and resource to do anything in this world. You're not going to make, you know, the, the pyramids. You're not going to create this thing that, you know, everybody's going to, you know, have. And, and you know, you're not going to live on in the ages. So what that does is it allows you to say like, okay, I can't do everything. I can't make this grand legacy that's going to live on forever. I can choose a few things and I can do them and get them done. And that will be my contribution to the planet. And that's kind of it. And I love, I love how you mentioned, you know, with the strengths, play to your own and involve other people to help work together to accomplish something that, that is far greater than what you could accomplish alone, because you don't have the time or resources or gifts to be good at all of it. Yeah, I mean, you think about all the all the all the great things that we have today, the things that we're blessed with um, that make our life better and easier. You know, the technology that we have, the um, the ability to do like what the hell we're doing now. Right. You and I are in two totally different places talking to each other. Um, This would have never happened 50 years ago. This would have never happened 100 years ago. But it was the tribalness of all of these smart people that came together to create ideas and build technology that allow us to connect through the internet um, today. And we're having a conversation on the backs of all of these amazing people that have created something. Now, nobody knows who the first person, well, I, I say nobody, I don't know who the first person was that created the microchip. I don't know who the first person was that created the semiconductor. I don't know who the first person was that uh, figured out how to put an image on a screen. We don't know those people's individual legacies, but we are the beneficiaries of all of their combined wisdom and work. And I think at the end of the day, that's the beauty of it. And if we just get out of our own way 
you know, one of the things that I tell people and, and it shocks them and pisses them off at first, but I'm okay with that because if you sit with this idea, then you'll actually realize it. Going back to what um, you were talking about with the 4,000 weeks is we're not that important. Like, you know, the reality is when I die, I'm sure there will be a small group of people that will mourn me for a day or two. When I die, there will be an even smaller group of people that will remember me a year or five years later. But you fast forward 20 or 30 years, nobody's going to give a shit or remember who I was, what I did. And, uh, you know, you go 100 years, I might have a picture somewhere in a drawer. I don't even think we'll have drawers at that point. So uh, maybe (laughs) not even that. But, you know, my life is not going to be that super important. And I think far too often people don't progress because they're so self-conscious. Oh, what is this person going to think? And it's like, nobody fucking cares. Like, don't, don't hone in on that because you're not that important. I'm not that important. Like you and I create podcasts and we create content. And every once in a while, I'm like, Casey, I'm frustrated because the downloads aren't there. And you're like, yeah, but you got, you know, X number of people listening. I'm like, yeah, that's true. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because if we're enjoying the process, if we love what we're doing, that's probably the most important thing. And if we lean into our strengths, we're happier. We tend to contribute better to the world. And, and uh, I think that, I think there's a lot of beauty and wisdom in that. I love that, man. And great segue to the next question, which is about the podcast. Um, the Evolve podcast is absolutely fantastic. Definitely, um, you know, one of the world's greatest because it has the greatest guests, which I'm saying with a little bit of bias because I was a guest. <laughs> you got a few times. Yeah. <laughs> it's been great. I've loved every opportunity to chat. Um, it, and again, it's one of the few that I've never missed an episode. I really like it. So I want to know in what ways has podcasting enhanced your life? Well, I think a lot of different ways. I, I'm, you know, I've got a really, I've been really fortunate to know uh, amazing people in my life. If there is one uh, thing that I value more than anything, it's the fact that I have relationships and friendships with so many just unbelievable people. And in because of that, I also have realized that when I started the podcast, that a lot of these people that I know, I don't know all of their stories. I don't know all of the cool things that they've done. I mean, case in point, Bill Crawley, who was one of our first few episodes, Bill and I were just talking one day and I was asking Bill for some advice. He's an entrepreneur and an inventor. And I knew one of the products that he had invented because we used it in the gym. Um, And then we get to talking and he starts telling me a story about his first company and his first invention. And I looked at him and like my jaw is dropping. I'm like, what was that called? And he tells me, oh, it was Vortex Backpacks. I'm like, holy shit. We loved your stuff. Like I had no idea that all of my friends growing up uh, loved the Vortex Backpacks. And Bill was the inventor of that. And so I think what podcasting has done is it's allowed me to go deep. It gives me an excuse to have a deep conversation with people that I already love and know, but it also gives me an excuse to have conversations with people that I think might be interesting. And then we have those conversations and I'm like, wow, that is super, super cool. So podcasting has been really, um, it's just expanded my addiction, I guess you could say, uh, for conversation, my addiction for learning about people and my addiction for 
uh, collecting friends. I, I love having a lot of friends and a lot of contacts and a lot of people. Um, you know, like you, I'm a fairly introspective person and I'm very selective about the people that I regularly spend time in my life with. Um, but with that, I really enjoy the, the spider web of having multiple really interesting people in my life. Mm. That's a very well thought answer. I think you and Miles do a fantastic job with that and presenting people's stories and asking interesting questions that elicits those kinds of responses. And I get, I get a, you know, feel like I'm in the room with you learning about these people too. So you guys do such a great job with that. I really love it. Um, going to switch kind of topics a little bit. You are somebody who loves to be outside in nature and, you know, with your house being so close to the mountains, you have the opportunity to get out several times a week from what I can see, at least on social media. Why is getting out into nature so important to you? And what lessons have you learned from connecting with the earth and being outside? Well, I think it's everything. I mean, at the end of the day, um, nature is where we learn what the reality of life is. You know, there's so many people want to McDonald's their life. And what I mean by that is they want to get in shape really quick. And so, you know, you can go through the McDonald's uh, drive through And by the time you're finished paying, they've already got the bag of shit hanging out the window and you can just drive up and get the flaming bag of shit and put it in your mouth. And you could, within less than a minute, minute and a half, you could order pay and start making diarrhea from that crap. Um, and it's just, it's unbelievable. And so that's our life these days. And so, We want everything to be as fast as what McDonald's is. Nature doesn't do that. Nature teaches us that there is a rhythm to life. The seasonality teaches us that we will go through different seasons of life. There's accumulation, there's uh, drop-offs, there's cold, there's wind. Like That's life. I mean, the reality of life is that it mimics nature. If you want to grow in any area of life, let's say you want to get better at managing your finances, Uh, You can't McDonald's that stuff. You have to, over time, figure out how to discipline yourself to uh, invest your money in the right areas so that it grows. And then you then learn the compound or the power of compounding interest, which is probably the most powerful thing in the entire universe is the power of compounding interest. Um, And you learn that in nature. The other thing, too, is it's, it's very grounding. You know, it was uh, at a beautiful moment uh, recently. My my daughter came to me uh, and she said, Dad, can I read you my uh, entrance exam or my entrance essay for school? And she starts reading this story. The question was, what's a, a moment in time where uh, it really made an impact on, or something happened that made an impact on your life? And so she starts telling about a time where her friend, her best friend at the time was upset with her, wouldn't talk to her. I think they were uh, young teenagers. Um, And she was going through that typical adolescent time where there was a lot of insecurities and she was not as confident and bold as what she was when she was younger. And I said, okay, let's go talk. And we hopped in the car and we went for a hike and uh, we we went up to a a place where we could have a good vantage point of what the sun or where the sunset was going down. And we sat on this rock and and we talked and I said, I want you to sit here. I want you to feel 
the rock. I want you to feel the wind. I want you to feel the rhythm of nature. And I want you to feel how it can influence your emotion and, and push your soul one way or another. And at the time, she, she says in her essay, she didn't really understand it. Part of it was what was going on in her mind is, why is my dad making me sit here? And the rock is cold. And what happened, though, is in, in reflecting on that, she said she learned that the statement that I made to her of nature is the place where you will find the greatest peace because it's the most in rhythm with what reality is, that that is that she's learned that. And if she ever gets feeling frustrated, sad, lonely, depressed, she goes into nature and she regrounds herself. And so for me, nature is everything. It's, uh, you know, it's the way to connect. That's where I don't, I don't go to church. I don't go into a building. Uh, I stopped doing that about 15 plus years ago uh, because I found that I am a much more spiritual human being by getting out into nature. Uh, It teaches me everything. It grounds me and it, uh, nature's got some of the best stories for me. I mean, the dumbest things I've done are in nature and the best stories I've done are in nature. I mean, I had a friend once where I convinced him to come and run and jump into a lake with me and uh, still tells that story to this day. Run and jump in a lake. Okay. So for the listener, this is a frozen lake in December or or late November. Steve, is, we're sitting around in a cabin. Steve's like... <laughs> Hey, let's go jump into this frozen lake. And I'm like, uh, okay, that's that's really funny. But he was serious. And run and jump in a lake denotes that you would actually run and hurl yourself into a lake. But what actually happened is walking towards a lake, we kind of got stuck in this freezing cold mud and could hardly move. And yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. Up to our knees, yeah. <laughs> That was a mess. Well, I, just, uh, I thought it was a great idea. It was dark. We'd been sitting in the cabin. We were warm. And I was like, hey, let's just go jump in the lake. That'd be cool. And uh, I know you thought I was crazy. We get out there. Uh, we, we, I think we both stripped down to our underwear. Our wives are thinking that we're crazy. We run out. And then the next thing we know, we're almost like um, knee deep or not deep. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, mud. We have to get out of the mud and so then i'm like all right well let's go jump off of the uh the dock over there you looked at me and you're like yeah fuck you buddy <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> so I what i said and, uh, yeah wow. but nature teaches a lot right and it creates a lot of these great uh stories some fun, some scary, and some and most stupid. But uh, those are the ones you remember. Yeah, I love that. I love that you mentioned the the kind of patience and like you can't you can't force nature to do its thing. You can't make a flower bloom. You can't make a, a tree lose all its leaves all at once. It's it's something that just has to happen, and you have to be in rhythm with it rather than you know trying to mold it the way that you think it should be. Um, I I think that's a, a really good and thoughtful point. You've already mentioned um, the kiddos. And you have three of them, and one of which you delivered yourself into this world. I'm curious what lessons your children have ended up teaching you. Well, a lot. I think that, um, you know, it, it probably the most important thing is that uh, you never know. You can never master one thing and just do it over and over and over and over again. Life constantly is a challenge. You know, when I was, uh, when they were all younger, I was the greatest guy in the world. I could, uh, 
make the best fart jokes or, you know, whatever it was and make them all laugh. And I could get them all on my lap and give them hugs and kisses, and tell them all the things that they were great at. And, you know, I could, I, I was like the greatest, most fun, but would teach like, I, I, you know, it was awesome. And then they got older and the stuff that dad does is stupid and embarrassing and funny. And I was like, okay, now I got to shift how I do things. I got to change. So I think one of the most important things that being a dad has taught me is this idea of evolution and reinvention. You know, I can't uh, just walk in and joke around and do things the way I did. um, And they think that I'm the greatest in the world. Uh, Now it's different conversations. It's different ways of connecting. Um, and, And I think that's probably the most important thing is that if you, if I'm not growing and if I'm not expanding and I'm not gauging back and forth on how's this relationship going, um, that, uh, you know, we're not progressing and we're not moving forward. So I I, I can never stop evolving and I can never stop um, reinventing myself in that way. And that's really helped me in every other aspect of life because uh, we all get stale in certain things. And if you get stale as a dad, then you lose touch pretty quick. And I, I can't lose touch. Mm. It's, it's not acceptable for me. Mm. I love that you mentioned, you know, evolving, and that's the name of your brand, Evolve. Um, and then another word that you mentioned quite a bit is disrupt. And yeah. oftentimes in our path, we know that we're heading in the right direction until something disrupts us and it forces us to rethink things. And it really kind of takes us off the path that we had thought, you know, to ourselves that that was the right direction. And, you know, in hindsight, it turns out that whatever other thing we were called to do turns out to be the right way. And we normally can look back on it and say like, yeah, this is, this was a good thing because now I'm doing this. I've accomplished this. So I want to know one thing in your life that you thought was a terrible disruption that ended up leading to an evolution and a progression for you. Um, yeah, I would say, well, there's been several. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give the pat answer of, um, the pandemic, because I think that one has become pretty, uh, fairly tried nowadays, you know, because the pandemic uh, disrupted everybody. I think one of the biggest ones for me was when I was two years old, uh, my mom walked into the room and she found me no heart, uh, no heartbeat. Uh, I wasn't breathing and she had to do CPR uh, to revive me. And at that point, they had no idea what was wrong with me. And I spent uh, the better part of a year or two in and out of the hospital. Um, I think that was a disruption in many areas. I mean, my dad told me uh, later on, he said that was the thing that he goes, that changed my life because I thought if I could lose a kid, what type of man do I want to be? And I think it, it really changed him, but it was a huge disruption for me because it made me realize that, uh, you know, I, my mom gave me life once when she gave birth to me, but then she gave me life twice by bringing me back. And if I was going to die again, um, I got to choose what I do between now and then. And so, you know, that was something that I just, with the 4,000 week concept, life is finite. And, uh, so I always say I've already died once. And when it happens again, I need to make sure that I've written my life on my own terms. So I tend to be fairly driven with goals and, and objectives and things that I, 
that I want to accomplish in life because um, I, I don't know, maybe, like you said, maybe an anvil gets dropped on my head today. Maybe uh, get hit by a car on the way home tonight and I die and whatever that's going to look like. Or maybe maybe I'm an old man sitting on a rocking chair at 110 years old. But between now and whenever that uh, that bell rings, um, I got to make sure that uh, that everything in my life is on point. So. I think disruptions are good. Disruptions uh, bring us face to face with who we are. They bring us face to face with um, what's inside of us. And they really open up the heart to something that is, uh, you know, where we, we realize that when you brush away all the bullshit, uh, all you're left with is what matters. And disruption does that. And I would say that that, that was probably the first disruption. It took me a few years, obviously. I didn't at four or five years old say, well, I, you know, <laughs> I stopped breathing and my heart stopped. And so now I'm living my life with purpose. But, uh, but that is definitely a disruption that has sat with me uh, for quite, quite some time. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. The CPR thing has certainly been a theme in your life. As a general manager of a club, you've been called upon several times to administer CPR. And, yeah. you know, some people made it. And, yeah and survived and other people did not make it. And I want to know how those experiences impacted you. And I also want to know as far as the impact on you, what did, what did each result have in common with each other? Yeah, great questions. I think what they all had in common was just this respect for the sanctity of life. Um, you know, we all want to be a looky loo in a situation that might be, traumatic or, or challenging. And we want to see what's going on. And uh, one of the things that was most important for me is when we had a situation where we needed to dive in and do CPR and try and save this life. Um, I, there, there was a sanctity there that I just thought we need to protect. And I was very adamant uh, and militant about how we did what we did. And, and there always had to be the human curtain. Uh, people needed to turn their backs and create a wall around us so that uh, people couldn't see what we were doing while we were working on this human being. Um, I think that, you know, with each one, it was a little bit different. The first uh, guy that died on me, um, I think that changed me fairly significantly because guy, you got me on this one case. Um, that had never happened before. You know, I've lost in life and I've lost uh, people but uh, I never, those two things had never been together. I'd failed and, and I've lost people, but I had never lost somebody uh, because we didn't make it. And so that I, I think really changed uh, my perspective and, and probably brought some of the most um, the, the highest sense of loss to me because 
I saw it as at the time as a failure on my part um, and a loss of a human being. And uh, that took me a long time to process through. I, I don't think I slept for probably six months after that, longer than maybe two or three hours at a time. And there were a lot of things about that that, you know, personally that, that were challenging for me. But then there was also a sense of indignation because the, the man, when he had the heart attack uh, and went down, there were two people that had seen him and got to him first and then walked away. And uh, that, that just never made any sense to me. I just thought, how could you do that? How could you walk away from a man that was dying? And even if you don't know what the hell you're doing, like jump in. And so that took me some time to process through. And that, I, I think it changed me. And it really just got me to the point where um, I had a, a greater reverence for life and humans. Uh, but I also kind of came to that sense of where, like I said, accept people for where they are because frankly, there are cowards, there are pathetic people in this world that won't dive in. And, and I, I will accept them for where they're at. Um, and I choose not to live in that space. I think that the next one uh, that we had where we were able to save him, there were a lot of things that came out of that particular situation. Um, one was teamwork, um, because it was really, there were, there were three or four of us uh, that made a big impact uh, in that situation that caused him to then be transferred. And then three or four of us then became a group of paramedics and doctors who did so many other things to save him. Um, and again, it, it when I, I, I go back to this sanctity of life, when he came walking back into the space, uh, uh, Man, I'll never forget that feeling uh, because I had not seen him since uh, breaking his ribs and pounding on his chest. Uh, and that, that, that sanctity of life was just another thing that got deep into my soul. And when I saw the, I'll never forget the eyes of his daughter when, uh, when she thanked us. And, and told us how great it was to have her dad. Uh, and then when she got married, the messages, uh, the pictures that she sent saying, uh, I'm so glad my dad is here for this. Uh, it just, you know, it, it, that, that's something that doubled down on the sanctity of life. The other, I think the other thing that, it, that all of those experiences did for me was it, it became a testing ground. I, I've always wanted to ask myself, I guess, what would I do in really tough or really challenging situations? You know, would I, would I be the person that looked at it and ran away or would I be the person that ran towards it? And, uh, you know, I'm happy to say that I'm dumb enough that I'm always the guy that runs towards it. And I think that's one of the things that it just, it, it helped me to realize about myself that I'm not going to back down from that. And I use that in every aspect of life. If I have to have a tough conversation, I go directly into it. I take a very direct approach. Uh, 
but at the same time, try and take into everything I do a sense of sanctity for the human being and love for them. Um, and I, I would say the last thing, and I'm, I know I'm kind of going on uh, on this, and you're probably like, dude, shut the hell up. But I think the last thing is that um, there's a role for violence in our lives. And, you know, anyone that has not been in a situation of, of um, doing CPR and putting the pads on and shocking somebody and seeing everything that goes on, you know, it's, it's a violent thing. Saving a life is a violent thing. I, I still, to this day, can hear, not just in my ears, but in my bones, I can hear and feel the violence of what it feels like to do CPR, to uh, the, hear all of the things, to feel the breaking of the bones, the see the shocking of the body when, when that happens. And violence is not a bad thing. Uh, violence, is, the wind is violent, the rain is violent. There's, but it's just a matter of how violence is used and violence used the right way can be one of the most beautiful life-saving things. So I think that's another thing that it's taught me is how everything in life can be beautiful and everything from those tender moments to the violent moments have beauty and they have a place in our life. Mm. Well, I didn't prepare you for that question. I didn't tell you that I was going to ask it. And I knew very well how, you know, personal and, and, you know, kind of, I don't know. I don't know if, if it, horrible is the right term to use because I know it's also a teacher. Um, but I, I really appreciate that really very meaningful and, and thoughtful answer from you. Um, it, it is an emotional thing. Um, one of the things I, I took from you is, you know, you and I used to kind of joke around and I would be the one that an emergency would happen. I would run away. I would be the one under the stairs. And through, you know, your example, I learned to, to run side by side with you. I remember the last one that we had that we ended up losing the guy, but I was running with you and we were running towards the situation last year during the pandemic, somebody was on the side of the road and I pulled the fuck off the road to go help that person running towards them. And I really took that from you. So for that, I'm, I'm really appreciative and it is interesting to understand that about yourself and, and prove to yourself that you can do that. What, what is the one thing in life you are the most proud of? Um, I think my failures, I'm really proud that I've uh, fucked up a lot. You know, I, I think that I'd be lying if I said that it was every success or it was this or that. It's um, I'm really proud of the fact that I have made a shit ton of uh, mistakes and I'm proud of the fact that I have uh, and that I'm still here. And I'm proud of the fact that because what's happened is you know, the only person in the world that has never been criticized is probably a person that uh, works at a gas station um, pumping gas or maybe just, you know, never or, or a librarian, uh, you know, somebody that and I'm not knocking gas attendants or librarians, but it, it's the person who never gets criticized is the person who never takes a risk and who never puts themselves out there. And so I think the thing that I am most proud of is the fact that I have screwed up so many times and I have made so many mistakes and I've been misunderstood. I have been, you know, I've, I've fucked up so many times that just, 
I've learned from them. And I think that's what I'm most proud of is all of my screw ups and all of my mistakes, because without those, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to grow. I love that answer. I absolutely love that answer. Thank you for that. I want to know, you know, in this life, we've talked a lot about life and death. We're going to have things that we finish and succeed at and can put away. And we have other things that we're going to have to pass the torch to somebody. And I want to know one project that you feel like you would love to see through to the completion and one project that you would like to leave unfinished for somebody else to, you know, pick up the torch and continue with it. That's a great question. Um, I would say the one project that um, I want to, I I don't even know if I would call it a project, is it's more of a mantra that I want to make sure that I pass the torch on is, you know, for years I've taught coaching and leadership concepts, uh, both in business and lecturing to groups and, you know, on the podcast or my old radio show or whatever. Um, something dawned on me one day that if you see yourself as a coach, that means you're a coach all the time. If you call yourself a coach, but you don't coach all the time, you're not a coach. You know, you think about a football team. Um, the coach is the coach, which means that the coach is reviewing game film on the times when he or she is not on the sidelines. The coach is the coach when the players need him or her to be there. The coach is the coach that stands on the sidelines and and coaches while the players play. And I see myself as a coach and a leader always, which means that my job is to constantly look to improve whatever is happening around me and to make everybody else, including myself, better. And so, again, I don't think it's a project as much as it is a a mantra that I want to pass on to anyone that will listen, that you just never stop because whatever you do, whatever I do in my life, concepts, example, teachings that I have that I could pass on, I want that to continue. Um, You know, I do have a, a, a personal mission or a vision for my life that I need to before I die, help millions of people transform their lives in some positive way. And I probably won't do that before I die, if I'm being completely honest. But if I can help, let's say a few hundred thousand, and then those people then go help others, then at some point, we'll reach that millions of people range. And so that's a big thing that I would say I want to really pass on. As far as completion, um, that one's a tough one for me now because I don't really look at life in terms of specifically what can I complete. I think that uh, a lot of, I I used to set really big goals and now I just set uh, goals that are in a smaller realm and and more so of like habits that I want to create. And then, you know, what can I accomplish in, in fairly short periods of time? And, and the reason I do that is I remember years and years ago thinking, oh, my gosh, I would love to own a Porsche because I've always loved Porsches since I was a little kid. And so then when I bought one and I drove it for five or six years, I was like, this is awesome. Uh, but I want this other model. <laughs> and so <laughs> then I went, I sold that and I bought the other model. And I and I think at this point now I've owned, I don't know, seven or eight. And I've got another one that I want to buy soon. Uh 
And so I don't, I don't really look at life as this like ultimate, this is what I want to get to, or this is a project I want to finish, or I want to accomplish this one thing. Because I, I just think that life is a constant evolutionary process. And as soon as I achieve something, um, I'm excited to go on to the next thing. That's, that, that's what juices me up, turns me on and gets me going in life is what's the next exciting thing? What's the next moment? What's the next um, thing that I can really get immersed in and, and enjoy life in? Mm, that's a great answer. I love that. I sometimes come up with my own questions for the podcast and sometimes I steal from others and I am unapologetic about that. This is a question that I have stolen from you in a sentence or less. What is a way that you evolve your life? And in a sentence or less, what is a way that you disrupt your life? How I've evolved is making a lot of mistakes and then learning from them. The way that I disrupt my life is by staying consistent with a routine, but then also leaning in when things start to feel discomfort. Mm. Awesome. Or feel, I feel discomfort if things feel uncomfortable. Mm. Great answers. Tell us how people can work with you. In what way are you coaching and consulting with people these days? Well, as far as coaching goes, I only take a, like a, a very limited amount of uh, people on. Uh, and so, you know, if they want to get a hold of me uh, for coaching, we can talk about it. I, I generally only work with a few people uh, that are highly motivated. And uh, I, the majority of what people can learn, they can learn from the podcast or old blogs or things like that. And so it just there's no value to me working with people one on one unless people really need something. So, um, it, I'd say the easiest ways to get a hold of me would be on my Instagram. It's just Steve Cutler with an underscore at the end, um, or evolve underscore cast on Instagram. Um, our website is evolve hyphen cast.com. Um, and yeah, the, the podcast is, uh, on all of the major platforms. It's called the evolve podcast. Um, so that's probably the easiest way. Awesome. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. What is one simple tip you would like the listener to take from this conversation and apply into their lives? I think probably the most important tip is uh, get into a regular routine of sleep movement and what you put into your mouth. Um, if you sleep consistently over time, you change the way that your brain functions. If you move your body every single day, you improve your biochemistry. And if you are very conscious of what goes in the mouth, um, you're going to make a significant impact in all areas of life. Most grumpy, sad, and pathetic people that I know uh, overdo it on carbohydrates and sugars, and they sleep like shit, and then they make excuses and they don't move on a regular basis. So the one simple tip is create a routine that works for you in those three areas. Fantastic. That is tremendous advice. Steve Cutler, one more time. Can you tell people where they can find you and connect with you and your work? Yep. So it's Steve Cutler uh, underscore on Instagram or evolve underscore cast on Instagram, or you can get a link to all of our episodes uh, and uh, learn more about the business at evolve hyphen cast.com. Excellent. We will link to all of that in the show notes. 
Steve, for all of the conversations that you and I have had over the years, I, I still so much appreciate talking to you and learning from you and transferring ideas. Um, I, I would say that I kind of expected, you know, a certain way this podcast would go and it evolved while we were doing it. And I just, I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability and all the lessons that you have taught me through my career and in this podcast. So thank you so very much for everything that you do. And thank you for making the time to come on our show today. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure, not only to be on, but to call you one of my one of my great friends. Well, you are definitely one of my great friends as well. I think it's an honor, even though we lost McDonald's, gas stations, and libraries as potential sponsors of the show today. We love the content. Otherwise, we'll try to find a sponsor somewhere else. And thank you again so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as, as have we. Um, as we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual mat Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.